Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Six of the podcast in Assuming America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Friday, June 4th, 2021. People, hope everyone is having a great day. And we got ourselves a little bonus episode. I told you yesterday in the Coach K retirement podcast, if you will, that was released late Wednesday. I'm sure most of you have seen or heard or saw that there was uh, an episode late Wednesday. While I was recording it, my old buddy, Nick Coffey, as you may remember, 790 KRD in Louisville. He is a radio host in Louisville. Used to contribute to this show all the time. He texts me while I'm recording that show, bro, you got to get me on. He, of course, lives in ACC country. He wanted to talk about Duke. And, of course, Nick, he is an open book, so we talked about everything. We talked Brad Stevens. Does he ever come back to college? Nick was very transparent about the state of Louisville basketball. Chris Mack, are the fans really happy? What's happening there? And we did talk a little bit about the Dino Gaudio extortion case. So Nick Coffey will join me, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. Right off the top here, this is what I wanted to do. Because a bunch of you guys did ask me this. I want to do two things right off the top. One, I want to talk about that very bizarre Coach K press conference. But then two, what I also want to talk about, many of you asked me, okay, Coach K's out. This unknown John Shire guy is in. What are the college basketball programs that will benefit the most from Coach K being retired, from Coach K retiring, from being out of college basketball? So I actually came up with a full list of seven. I think there are a few that will surprise you. I will hit you with the seven programs that are going to benefit the most from Coach K's retirement. So let's get into it. No more time to waste. And before we do, first of all, did you see that bizarre Coach K press conference on Thursday? I mean, in the pantheon of weird things, this is right up there with just about anybody, okay? So this is, if you have not seen the video, here's what you need to know. I believe it was in Cameron Indoor Arena. Uh, There are literally strobe light laser things going on. Uh, There's about a crowd of 20 people that is made, you know, the, the way the cameras were set up, they were trying to make the crowd look bigger than it was. And they're all just, they're clapping as uh, this song, Every Time We Touch, I Get This Feeling. You know that song? Every Time We Touch, I Get This Feeling. So that's playing. You got like 20 people, including, you know, a couple flappy arms flapping around, 
clapping for Coach K as he walks to the stage. Uh, and the only thing I could say that it reminded me of, honestly, was like one of those Sunday morning televangelist preacher guys. You know the guy that, that goes to the stage and, and everybody's clapping and singing and then a woman comes up and he touches her on the head and she faints in his arms? That's kind of what it was like mixed with a Backstreet Boys concert with the strobe lights. Uh, I thought Coach K was going to uh, cure a baby, you know, with a... Uh, you know, a baby with, with uh, you know, some weird disease or something. I thought there were going to be fainting women falling out of the stands. But that was Coach K's press conference. It was kind of his, his final goodbye. And, you know, he said a few things that were kind of worth noting. He claims that it's not about the idea that college sports are changing. I disagree. I know for a fact that it isn't. It played a role. Uh, the name, image, likeness stuff, the, the transfer stuff, we talked about it yesterday. I don't know how it couldn't play a role. And I will, like, I'll say this before I get to the seven programs that I do think will benefit. Like, in some ways, I do give Coach K credit, right? So the recruiting cycle just ramped up again these last couple weeks. Uh, and, you know, schools have players on campus. You know, Arkansas, Kentucky, Duke, uh, you know, in football, all these schools are having players visit campus. And, I, and Coach K kind of went into the recruiting cycle and said, look, I don't want to lie to these kids. I, not only do I not think I'll be there for four years of their career – I'm not sure I'll be there for two years of their career if one. And so what Coach K did was like, he's like, before we start, you know, calling these kids and claiming, hey, you know, come to Duke, we're going to play for Hall of Fame or all that stuff. He just basically said, look, I, I, I don't think I'll be here and I think it's time. And so in a lot of ways, I give him credit. In a lot of ways, I will say I do have some like genuine major concerns about John Shire. Because I was thinking about it, and I don't think I even articulated this well on Thursday's episode, but it is fascinating to me. You know, we've had these, these coach-in-waiting transition things happen in the past, and even the ones that haven't worked. Kevin Ollie, he was at UConn for three, four, five years before he took over for Jim Calhoun. Bill Guthridge was at North Carolina forever under Dean Smith. Hubert Davis, frankly, was at North Carolina for six or seven years uh, uh, you know, under under Roy Williams before he took over that job. What struck me about the Duke thing was it's not that John Shire was some like crazy overqualified assistant coach. That's not what it is at all. He was just like the guy that was there that was next in line. If this had happened three years ago, it feels like Jeff Capel would have gotten the job. If it happened seven or eight years ago, it feels like Wojciechowski would have gotten the job, Chris Collins, whomever. And so I only bring it up because that was what the more that I thought about it on Thursday, you know, Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday night into Thursday is it's not like John Shire has any incredible, crazy, uh, you, you know, uh, thing on his resume that makes him stand out. Kevin Ollie, say what you want about him. And trust me, I've said it all on this show. The guy played in the NBA for 15 years, played with LeBron, played with KD, whatever. Hubert Davis played in the NBA forever. Uh, Bill Guthridge, who took over for Dean Smith, was his right-hand man for 30 years. Mike Hopkins was in line to take over for Jim Beheim after like 25 years on the bench. John Shire was just kind of the next guy in line. And so as I think about this hire, I don't want to say it's underwhelming. I mean, it is underwhelming, but I don't want to say it can't work. But I just think about the fact that a year from now, frankly, a month from now, John Shire is going to be walking into a gym trying to convince kids to come to Duke to play for him. And as great as Duke is, he is basically going to be going up against John Calipari, Chris Beard, 
even again, Hubert Davis, who played in the NBA for six, seven, eight, I think it was like 10 years before he got to North Carolina. He obviously was at ESPN. And it just really struck me. Like, there is nothing that makes John Shire extra special when he goes on the road uh, as a recruiter for Duke. And I really do wonder how that recruitment goes and, of course, how he coaches the team once it is his team. And the final thought I would say before I get to the programs that I think benefit the most from Coach K leaving, um, it just struck me as I was kind of preparing for this show, wow, all of us College Hoops fans, we're going to turn on a Duke Carolina game sometime in January or February of 2023, and it's going to be John Shire versus Hubert Davis on the sidelines. How about the fact that my boy Kevin Keats, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, is now the longest tenured coach in the state of North Carolina in the ACC now that uh, Wake Forest fired Danny Manning last year, and then, of course, Roy Williams retired, and beyond that, uh, who is the other guy? Oh, Coach K. Oh, Coach K. He is going to be out a year from now. So before I get to Nick Coffee, as promised, what I want to do is take a few moments and hit on the programs that I believe will benefit the most from Coach K's departure. And let me explain what happened. When Coach K announced his retirement effective the end of next season, a bunch of you hit me up with a bunch of different questions, and I did a, a live stream on YouTube. If you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, now is a great time to do so. But a bunch of you hit me with a bunch of different questions, and you basically asked me a, a ton of great ones, but one that really struck me was, Aaron, what program do you think actually benefits the most from Coach K retiring? Is it North Carolina, the rival? Is it Kentucky who recruits against them? So I came up with seven. Um, and I think all of them in some way, shape, or form really do benefit from Coach K retiring. And so let's get into, in my opinion, the seven programs that benefit the most from Coach K retiring. I think a few of them will surprise you, including number seven. Number seven is Indiana. And that sounds like super bizarre. Like, why is Indiana on this list? It's because Mike Woodson in his short, listen, backtrack, Mike Woodson, everybody knows I crushed him the second that he got hired. I was kind of just like, this ain't going to work. Indiana's a football school now. Uh, I, I, I gave a moment of silence to the Indiana basketball program. But Mike Woodson has actually impressed me since he's gotten the job. Now, I get it. He has never coached a single game at the college level. He still has a lot to prove. But he has been very aggressive in the transfer portal. For people who do not follow three different players he has signed via the transfer portal that could contribute this season. But he also went out and got a five-star guard named Tamar Bates, who was one of the best available players this spring. Went out, got him, beat Kansas, who was Tamar Bates, is from Kansas. So he beat, he beat Kansas for a kid from Kansas. Kentucky was at the very least interested. Texas was interested. And so Mike Woodson has made it clear, listen, I'm going after the best high school players. I don't know if I'm going to get them, but I'm going after them. And so when I look at this situation, I sit there and say, wait a second now. Even if Mike Woodson, even if there are 10 five-stars that are going to play college basketball next year, Duke was usually getting three or four of them. Serious question, and I'm not being sarcastic. Who right now has the better recruiting pitch in 2022-2023? Is it the guy that played in the NBA, that coached in the NBA, that coached Carmelo Anthony, that is now at his alma mater? Or is it the guy that's 35 years old that's been in Coach K's shadow forever? On top of the fact, I didn't even mention the fact that Coach K's coaching tree is embarrassing. And so when I look at the fact that Mike Woodson has made it clear I'm going to go after the best high school players in America – I don't think he's going to get all of them. He might not even get some of them. Are, are, are all the best players still, you know, is North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky all going to be in the mix for the best players? Yeah, absolutely. But Mike Woodson's going after them. And I actually think Mike Woodson's pitch 
to a recruit is actually stronger than John Shire's right now. John Shire is selling, hey, yeah, the coach before me coached a bunch of guys in the NBA. The coach before me coached Jason Tatum and Zion and R.J. Barrett. I actually think Indiana may benefit because, again, I just think that Mike Woodson, if he is going to go after those type of players, I actually think his pitch is a little bit stronger than Dukes will be. That's the number seven team on the list. The number six team is the Louisville Cardinals. And what I will say is this. Nick Coffey and I talk about it here momentarily. But what's kind of shocking is Louisville, they're a great basketball player. You can joke, you know, all, all the crazy stuff that has happened, that continues to happen. They are still a great basketball program. And I bring it up because of this. If you look at what Louisville has actually done since they got to the ACC, after the first few years under Patino, it has actually been a struggle. So here are their win. This is where they finished in the ACC dating back to their first season in 2015. They finished fourth, fourth, second under Patino. Then Patino gets fired. They finished eighth under David Padgett. They finished sixth, second last season. That's 2020 when the NCAA tournament was canceled and seventh this past year. And so the point that Nick Coffey brought up was basically that since we've gotten, not, not since we've gotten to the ACC, but the last four or five years, it just feels like us as Louisville, we're probably the fifth best program in the ACC right now. Virginia's the best, Florida State's been really good, and Duke and Carolina are awesome. And Nick Coffey's just basically like, look, we've been right there, but we can't break into that upper tier under Chris Mack. And another interesting element with Louisville is that with Chris Mack specifically, the fan base is starting to lose patience with them. Misses the NCAA tournament this past season. Obviously, they finished second in the year that the tournament wasn't played. And in his first season, they finished sixth in the ACC and they lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And so when I look at why Louisville is on this list, maybe if Duke takes a half a step back, it just means that Louisville can be the team that steps up. And then all of a sudden, you go from finishing sixth to finishing fourth. And then you build a little bit of momentum. And then from there, you get back the program to being where it's, it's supposed to be. And I like Chris Mack, and I, I still think he's a really good coach. But for everything weird that has happened, it just hasn't totally worked out yet. And sometimes you just need something like this to happen to get things going. I'll give you a quick example. Uh, I remember, never forget, Villanova, listen, Villanova fans get mad when you say this, but it's the truth is that if you go back, Villanova, this run where they went from like really good program to elite top five program in the country, it directly coincided with when UConn, Syracuse, Louisville, Pitt, Notre Dame, all those teams left the Big East. And so you can say, yeah, Jay Wright figured it out and he started recruiting a different kind of player and he developed players. At the end of the day, it did directly coincide with when the Big East got easier to win. It's worth noting, other programs, Seton Hall, Seton Hall could never get into that upper echelon of the Big East. Now they're basically a tournament contender every year. Providence did not make the tournament the past, this past year, but they, they've made like four or five tournaments and they have been more successful in the post-Big East breakoff than frankly they have really over any five, six, six, seven year stretch in their program's history. And it does directly coincide with all of those teams, UConn, Louisville, Syracuse, Pitt, etc., leaving the Big East. So who could someone take advantage of this? Could Duke take half a step back and someone steps up? I think it's Louisville. That's why I have Louisville at number six. Number five, NC State. Uh, look, love Kevin Keats. It's awesome. And it's kind of a weird parallel dynamic because even though Duke and NC State are in the same conference, in the same state, 
they're like two completely different schools. Duke's private, NC State's public. Duke recruits the one and dones. NC State doesn't really recruit the same caliber of players as Duke. But as much as I love Kevin Keats, made the NCAA tournament his first year, it has been trending in the wrong direction. It's not that I don't like him, it's just the truth. You go back, uh, his first year he makes the tournament, second year finishes eighth. They're basically the first team left out of the NCAA tournament. The 2020 season that was canceled, they finished sixth and they were squarely on the bubble going into the ACC tournament. This year they finished ninth in the ACC, got hot at the end of the year, but it's not enough. And so it's kind of the same thing with Louisville. Is it's, it's kind of just like the idea that maybe this is where all of a sudden you go from losing more to Duke than you have to you get a couple of those big wins and it builds some momentum and then you can win one recruiting you know war or whatever and then that leads from, from you being one of the first four out to one of the first four in and then you build some momentum from there, especially the fact that you are in the state. I think it is worth noting, Kevin Keats, like I said, entering year five at NC State is the longest tenured coach in the ACC in the state of North Carolina, ahead of the new coach at North Carolina, ahead of John Shire at Duke, and ahead of Steve Forbes at Wake Forest. And so I only bring that up to say he's got to start building some momentum, and maybe this is the moment. Any help he can get, this is it. And so I have NC State at number five. Number four, this one will surprise you, but somebody brought this up during the live stream, and I thought it was a great point. Number four is Texas. Let me explain why. Remember how I just said a minute ago, I think that Mike Woodson, he's going to go after the best high school players in America. I think he's going to go after the best high school players in America. Uh, Chris Beard is definitely going after the best players in America. And for people who don't remember, Chris Beard, obviously Texas Tech, he is the new Texas head coach. And when he arrived at Texas, you talk about making waves. Chris Beard has probably... I don't know if they're more highly paid than Kentucky, but they are right up there in terms of the most expensive staff in college basketball. He hired two former head coaches to come on as assistant coaches. Like guys that were head coaches last year took more money to go be an assistant at Texas than to be a head coach. Chris Ogden, who was at UT Arlington, is I think the special assistant to Chris Beard. Rodney Terry, who was a head coach at UTEP, took like a million dollars a year to become the associate head coach at Texas. And you add them in with the two other guys. Beard brought one of his guys from Texas Tech. He brought Jarence Howard, who was Bill Self's number one recruiter, to Texas. And I bring it up to say this. Chris Beard is, he's trying to build a, he's trying to build the modern version of Duke, the modern version of UConn, that program that was good, but he's trying to take it to that next level. You know how I joke sometimes, like Villanova thinks they're a blue blood, but they're not really a blue blood? Uh... Chris Beard's trying to do that at Texas. Like, he wants in 10 years Texas to be a perennial national championship contender. He's going to go after the best players in the transfer portal, and he's going to go after the best players in Texas. And so when you look at the fact that, again, Duke no longer has Coach K to sell. They no longer have ties to Team USA basketball to sell. They got a bunch of guys in the NBA, but they didn't play for John Shire. Someone is going to get the players that Duke got, and I think you can guess some of the schools that will get them that will be up higher on this list. But Texas is going after them, and the crazy thing about Texas is Texas has as much high school talent as any program in any state in the country. Like, there is so much talent in Texas when you look over the last couple years. Cade Cunningham, R.J. Hampton, the Harrison Twins, Julius Randle, uh, Justice Winslow, who went to Texas, or went to Duke. So now all of a sudden, those Texas kids, they're going to have a real option in state with a great head coach, a highly paid staff, like, they're coming. Like, like, Texas is coming 
as a college basketball superpower. And I think they're number four because I do think some of those kids that might have considered Duke are going to back off. And I think Texas is one of the programs that are going to take advantage. Number three is Virginia. And it's kind of weird because Virginia, the reason it's, it's very simple. They don't recruit the same players as Duke. They don't do any of that. But Virginia, probably you would think in theory, Virginia, Duke, if you just go the last 10 years, Virginia, Duke won two in some order in the ACC. That's actually not true. North Carolina has won more regular season titles in the ACC than Duke has, but Duke has been a bigger thorn in Virginia's side in the ACC tournament. So Duke uh, has, believe it or not, not won an ACC regular season championship since 2010, which ironically was John Shire's last year as a player. But I bring that up to say that Duke has had a bunch of success in the ACC tournament, and at times it has been at the expense of Virginia. And so I bring all that up as a fancy way to say that Virginia, whether even though we still, like we as fans, think of Duke and North Carolina as the two quote-unquote best programs in the ACC, Virginia is actually the one that wins the darn thing every year. And so now that team that was probably right alongside North Carolina, the biggest threat to them in the ACC year in and year out, I think they've been crippled. I think if, if you get one theme out of this, it's that I do not trust John Shire to keep Duke at the level that it is. And that's no disrespect to John Shire. It's just the reality that this is going to be a really hard job when you're not selling Coach K. Number two, probably not surprised, I do think it's the University of North Carolina. And, and it's so interesting because these two jobs open up basically simultaneously. And we got two very inexperienced player, two inexperienced coaches that we don't know much about. We don't know if they're going to be good, they're going to be bad, they're going to be whatever. But I do think if I am projecting who is going to have more success in terms of keeping that program at the upper, upper, upper echelon, I think it's North Carolina. First of all, we, we throw around the term blue blood, and I've joked about it on this podcast, but there are a lot of articles going around right now. Like, is Duke really a blue blood, or is Mike Krzyzewski just Duke basketball and Duke University as a whole? No different than when Jim Beheim leaves Syracuse. No different than when UConn lost Jim Calhoun or John Thompson at, at, at Georgetown or Jerry Tarkanian at UNLV. The history of the program basically starts and stops with those guys. Now, some of those programs have kind of come back to earth since then. Obviously, you guys know I think UConn's trending in the right direction under Dan Hurley. Uh, you know, Georgetown had a great run under JT3 for a while there. But I bring it up to say North Carolina is not one of those schools. Basically, everyone that's come to North Carolina, except, unfortunately, Matt Doherty, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, everyone in North Carolina has basically had success. And so I think when you have that foundation, I think when you're a big state public school, I think when you, when you think about the fact that most people in North Carolina grow up Tar Heels fans, Duke fans come from all over the country. Duke's probably weirdly more of a national brand because their graduates go to different parts of the country. Like, there's an old joke that Duke has more fans in New York City than they do in North Carolina, but part of it is true. Kids from the Northeast go to Duke, get a good education, move back up to the Northeast, work on Wall Street. And so I, I just don't see the scenario where North Carolina totally craters under Hubert Davis, but I can see the scenario, obviously, if you've been listening to this segment, you know where I stand on it. I can see the scenario where they struggle post-Coach K with John Shire. I also think when you're just talking about looking at each program, what they're going to be able to sell in recruiting, one, North Carolina, again, that big statewide, uh, just, just huge brand. If you've ever been to a North Carolina game on the road, it's basically like Kentucky, where wherever you go, there's always Carolina blue. That's still true with Duke. That's still true with Duke. I'm, I'm not saying that. 
but it's just a bigger, broader brand, especially within the state and especially within the Southeast. And on top of that, I just think Hubert Davis has more to sell in the fact that he played in the NBA, that he knows what it takes to get to the NBA. I'm really excited to see Hubert Davis. I'm not, I, I can't lie, I'm not nearly as excited about John Shire. He was just the next guy. Like Hubert Davis, like I said a minute ago, Hubert Davis was groomed for this job for four, five, six years. John Shire, I don't want to say he wasn't groomed, but he was just kind of the next guy in line. If Jeff Capel never left, it'd be Jeff Capel that's the new head coach at Duke. If Coach uh, Wojciechowski had never left for Marquette, he'd be the next. So I just bring it up because I think if, if there's one program that I think can, can keep elevated more than the other, I do think it's North Carolina. And so I think they take advantage of this window of time. And so North Carolina is number two. Number one, I think if you, if you stuck this far, you could probably figure it out. It's, it's Kentucky. And the reason is very simple. Whatever you think about college basketball, and we, if you don't love college basketball, you're not listening to this podcast, but whatever you think of college basketball, I'm going to say something, and some of you are going to get upset, but it's kind of the truth. There have been better programs over the last 10 years, but the conversation in college basketball really does start every year with Duke and Kentucky. Think about it. How many times did any of us, myself, anyone who does podcasts, anyone who talks college basketball, Seth Greenberg, this, that, whatever, how many segments did we do on why do Duke and Kentucky stink this past year? It was all anyone talked about. I mean, it was like February. I remember vividly, both teams were way out of the NCAA tournament discussion. I turned on ESPN after a great, whatever, Gonzaga-BYU game, and they're talking about why do Duke and Kentucky stink. They're the two biggest brands. They recruit the highest caliber of player consistently. And I think any Kentucky fan would kind of say this, is if we're being perfectly honest... Coach K has gotten most of the guys that he has wanted over the last decade, especially relative to when he's going head-to-head with John Calipari. Zion Williamson, Kentucky wanted him. Marvin Bagley, Kentucky wanted him. Jason Tatum, Kentucky wanted him. R.J. Barrett, Kentucky wanted him. Cam Reddish, Kentucky wanted him. And so I say that to say that it does kind of feel like the stars are aligning for Kentucky to get back to recruiting the best of the best in high school basketball. One, they brought in, I would argue right up there with Texas, the best recruiting staff in all of college basketball. We've talked about the staff a ton on this podcast. I don't need to go super deep dive, but Orlando Antigua, Chin Coleman, both really well-respected, helped build up Illinois. They have come in. Obviously, Jay Lucas was there last year, very well-respected in the state of Texas. He was already there. And so now you get to go back on the road with the best recruiting staff in the country again, alongside Texas, and you get to do that at a time when Duke is in a transition, and is Coach K even there, and if he's there, what is he really selling, what can he really sell, I just think the timing's perfect for Kentucky. Now, it is worth mentioning that when we talk about the best of the best, one, there's going to be other schools that get guys, Georgia got Anthony da- or Anthony Edwards, I almost said Anthony Davis, he got, they got Anthony Edwards, it happens, other, sc- other schools get guys, and in some ways, I actually think now, Unless John Shire is just literally the modern-day John Wooden, he's so good that it doesn't matter. I actually think Kentucky's biggest recruiting opponent isn't going to be Duke or North Carolina. It's going to be the G League and overtime, those two professional entities that are now paying high school players. I think Kentucky's going to lose more guys that they want to the G League or overtime in the next five or six years than they do to Duke or North Carolina. Now, on the flip side, credit to Calipari because he's done a good job of kind of identifying the guys that are looking for those pro opportunities, and he has mostly stayed away from them. But at the same time, I'm just telling you, is 
if I'm John Calipari right now, I am licking my chops, cannot wait to get back on the recruiting trail because, again, think about it. If, you're, if you've gone head-to-head with Duke for the last decade for kids and you have missed out on your fair share, it happens, whatever, everybody missed out. Duke has had the Hall of Fame coach, winning his coach of all time, his ties to Team USA. I've talked about it in this podcast before. I remember talking to a buddy of mine who coached a super, super high major, was in Kentucky. He said, like, if Duke comes in, on a recruitment of a kid that we're recruiting, we basically just back off because we know we can't get the kid. We can't compete with Team USA. We can't compete with, with what Coach K is and what he's selling. Well, now Calipari's got his staff in place, and on top of that, Coach K's taking a step back, all that stuff. And so I think this is the perfect time for Kentucky to strike. I don't think there is a single program that is going to have more success courtesy of Coach K's retirement than Kentucky. So for people who missed some of it, number seven was Indiana, six was Louisville, five was NC State, four was Texas, three was Virginia, two was North Carolina, and one was Kentucky. All right, that segment went way longer than I was anticipating, but YOLO, whatever. Do people still say YOLO? All right, let's get out of here. So coming up, a couple things. Before we get out of here, oh, by the way, want to give a very special birthday shout-out. Not sure if you guys saw this story. McGlovin. You guys ever seen Superbad? McGlovin, fake ID, birthday says June 3rd, 1981. So McGlovin's fake birthday was on Thursday, so happy birthday, McGlovin. Not sure if you're a listener to the podcast, but I saw that and I cracked up with it. Uh, but yeah, that's it. So we're going to get out of here. I'm going to welcome in uh, Nick Coffey. For those of you new to the show, just picked it up these last few months, Nick Coffey is a radio host in Louisville. He covers more Louisville than Kentucky. But, I mean, he's just plugged in with the same stuff that I'm plugged into. He loves college football, loves college basketball, follows Louisville, but he follows the national scene, Gonzaga, Virginia, uh, Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, whatever. And he comes on, and we talk about a lot of different stuff. We talk about, uh, you know, we talk about, again, the, the Kentucky stuff, or the, the Louisville stuff. We talk about the Duke stuff with Coach K. Is John Shire going to work? Really fun interview. So Nick Coffey is coming up. Before we get out of here, I do want to remind you, Please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres podcast, iTunes, the podcast addict app. If you have an Android, the podcast addict app is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Make sure to also rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. I think I said follow the YouTube page. If you're not, what are you doing? Uh, but that is all for today's show. I should mention, I don't know if it will run on Monday, but as I told you, I'm really excited. This is the time of year where I do some non sports stuff. Forrest Galante, uh, this guy is incredible. I call him the modern day Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter. If you don't know who he is, check him out, Google him. He's been on the Joe Rogan podcast. He's been on Part of My Take. He is this incredible animal guy who basically he has a show called Extinct or or Alive, and they just drop him into the forests of uh, Indonesia, wherever, and they say, hey, this snake disappeared 
500 years ago. See if you can find it. And he has this insane track record of he's discovered about five, six, seven animals that were thought to be extinct. He has a new book out. I'm interviewing him on Friday. I suspect the interview will run Monday. You don't have to be a sports fan. You don't have to be an animal activist, whatever, to enjoy it. Trust me. Give it a shot. You're going to enjoy it. But I think I'm going to get out of here. That is all. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel Hates My Voice. Let's get to my main man, Nick Coffey. All right, joining me via Zoom, my old buddy. You can hear him 7 to 10 Eastern, Monday through Friday, 790 KRD in Louisville. Host of the Red Zone, fueled by Thornton's. Nick Coffey, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing good. I appreciate that plug for my family at Thornton's. And uh, I'm back on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. So uh, I cannot complain, brother. I appreciate you having me. So I was just whining to you about how nothing was going on front end of the week, probably uh, had to scrape the bottom of the barrel like nothing I've ever done before. Uh, Shout out Trey Young, who, you know, just made it easier for me because I just, you know, talked about how wrong I was on him. But uh, let me ask you, uh, certainly that changed. That changed on uh, the middle of the week. Coach K retires. As I was recording my show, you texted, as I was recording my Wednesday show, you texted me and said, dude, Coach K, you got to get me back on. So the floor is yours, Nick Coffey. You see that news. You see that Jeff Goodman tweet. I was actually in the shower, came out to at least five texts about it. Your first reaction when you saw Mike Krzyzewski retiring as head coach of Duke basketball. Well, the first thing was to get warmed up in the bullpen for an appearance on the Aaron Torres Sports yes. Podcast because I want to reach the college basketball fanatics, and this is where they reside. So that's first instinct. But really, not a surprise. I thought it was kind of weird how about a month ago, maybe, maybe a little less than that, there was that no reports, but just like some very vague tweets about him considering retirement. I mean, it would make sense because he's, he's older. Um, but I instantly thought, okay, one – He's going to he's gonna hang it up, but he's going to do the farewell tour, and that's very Coach K of him to do the farewell tour. However, if there's one coach who deserves it, it's probably him. He is uh, – I don't need to explain his credentials. Um, but I instantly thought what a lot of people thought, which is actually two things. One, are they going to do what I think they're going to do? Are they going to promote John Shire? And sure enough, they did. And this one to me makes more sense than Carolina, the way they did it. Really? We can get into that. Yes, yes because Coach K – is Duke basketball like there's never been any like one you knew he was going to make the decision he was going to decide who the next coach was and Roy Williams was clearly going to have influence but North Carolina is the kind of job where guys who are set for life that would never consider leaving might consider leaving maybe call Jay Wright maybe he would finally leave maybe call Mark Few because it's freaking North Carolina so I guess more than anything I just wasn't as shocked because you just I think we all knew forever that Coach K was going to decide the next coach. It was going to be a part of his Duke family. And a lot of these other coaches, I mean, as good as Coach K is, his coaching tree stinks. Most of these guys who've moved on aren't any good. So it leaves John Shire there with an opportunity. He's younger than me. I feel like he was just playing in the 2010 title game. It seems bizarre. Imagine the shoes he's going to have to fill. So that was kind of the first reaction is the, the transition from who they go to and, and how it's re- how it's received. But another one is, how big of a factor is it that college athletics and college basketball for sure are about to be a completely different world than what Coach K has done for the last seemingly 100 years? The transfer portal is, is, is a game changer. 
name, image, and likeness is a game changer. So, uh, and I don't know if that's been confirmed. I think Goodman had a source that said that was a factor. And this is a guy who's saying, look, the game's about to change. I've done this long enough. I have nothing to prove. I'm ready to walk away. So um, big news, but we really, I feel as if we didn't, I mean, think about this, dude. Carolina and Duke opened up and we got no juicy coaching search. Nope, nothing. Thanks to Indiana, by the way. Shout out to Indiana who gave us the best coaching search uh, of they the offseason. So a couple of thoughts. One, you know, first of all, you mentioned the coaching tree and I don't want to spend too much time on this. How pissed off is Jeff Capel right now? Like Jeff Capel's like, you know, I'm going to take Pitt. I'll be back in seven or eight years. And now Pitt stakes, everybody's transferring. And, you know, he's going to probably be John Shire's assistant in five years, to be perfectly honest. But that was uh, one thing. But, you know, the other thing is what you said, I think is 100% accurate. I, I, I think name image likeness, the transfer stuff, it's a total game changer. And it's really funny because, as you said, you know, like, like I think about – and you might be old enough to remember this. You might not be. You're a few years younger than me. I remember when it was like a huge story in 1999 after they lost the UConn Huskies in the national championship game that Duke lost three players early to the NFL or the NBA draft. Um, Elton Brand, he was the uh, player of the year. Everybody knew he was going to leave. But then William Avery, who everyone has since forgotten, and Corey Maggette left. And it was like, how can you leave Duke before you graduate? And so I know it was 20 plus years ago now, but to come from that to the one and done to now the one time transfer where, you know, I just, I use this as an example on my Wednesday show, but you know, there's a kid named Henry Coleman. He goes into that kid's house for two years, recruits him. Hey, come here. It might not work out right away, but I've been, I've worked with guys like you. If you're not good enough to, if you weren't good enough to play in the NBA, I wouldn't be recruiting you here, but it's going to take some time trust the process. And then one year in, he bounces to go play for Texas A&M. Um, like if I was coach K, I'd probably be pissed too. Like I used to have four year relationships with everybody. And now it's like, everybody's bouncing after a year. And so to me, that was kind of my single biggest takeaway about everything is the idea that, you know, Roy Williams retires. Um, Coach K retires, something that has been forgotten. Urban Meyer was offered the Texas job, or he was at least offered a crap ton of money to be the Texas head coach and turn it down. And these all are for the same reasons as we're entering uncharted territory. And like, I don't think these old guys, want, I, heck, I don't think these young guys want to deal with it. Let me actually ask you, you had Chris Mack on your show the other day. Has he talked at all publicly about this? Because I don't feel like anybody really likes this stuff, um, but there's a lot of guys that don't have the options to retire with probably $100 million in the bank like Coach K does. There's probably not a lot of guys that have the option to go to the NFL like Urban Meyer did. Um, but I feel like the guys that have legitimate options, whether they're really good college football coaches that are going to go to the NFL, really good basketball coaches go to the NBA, really good basketball coaches that retire – I think a lot of these guys are going to be like, screw this. Like, I don't want to deal with this crap anymore. Uh, yeah, Chris Mack is is not a fan at all of the transfer portal and kind of that the, the way that's going to change things. And he also said right away, not a fan of the transfer portal, but we're going to continue to take advantage of it and, and utilize it. But he thinks it's bad for the sport. He's got the old school mentality of, you know, you and he look, he went to Evansville as a player and it was it didn't work out and he was unhappy and he transferred to go to Xavier. And he had that year where he set out. So he's anti-players playing right away. He's anti-transfer portal where, in general. 
Um, but I just don't think he specifically is a candidate that would ever move on. I don't think the NBA would ever have interest in him. Yeah. And he said many times, he said many times that, you know, he'd love to play in the league, but has no interest in coaching it. But I do think there'll be some that might look more, but I don't know what they do because to be honest with you, the NBA doesn't seem super interested in bringing in college guys anymore. The trend in the NBA is to move on to former players that just got out of the league with no coaching experience. I mean, that seems to be sort of the way to go about it. So I think you're right. I think coaches are going to get fed up with it. Maybe just decide to retire earlier than expected. I do think that's certainly at play for both Roy Williams and coach K. Um, But the best are going to adapt. And I I think we're really going to see a new, a new, I guess, wave of, yeah. coaches who can adapt like like Eric Musselman who clearly has been utilizing the transfer portal since day one better than anybody else and he got even I mean hard to find many schools that did it better this time around so a lot of coaches are complaining and I think it was Jay Billis who made this point that the coaches that complain about how bad this is for the sport it really just shows they don't trust each other they think there's going to be tampering going on and um so yeah I, honestly I, I there are guys that like outside of Roy I mean, we use Calipari as an example. I mean, this is a guy that probably, if he was going to go to the NBA, would have already done it. Uh, but also, you know, he's he's older. He's certainly not in the first stage of his career. Like, if they have another, like, I could see him walking away if he doesn't have success. I'm not predicting they don't have success. I think they're going to be much better this year. Um, but it will be interesting to see which coaches decide to say, look, like it or not, we got to make some adjustments and change with the times. Or some coaches just say, the hell with it. I'm out of here. I mean, most of these coaches make enough money. Some of them may be the highest paid employees in their state. I don't yeah. think it's too much to ask to make some adjustments. Yeah, no. And when I said guys leave, I was thinking more of like the Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley type of like, you know, Lincoln Riley in like four years is just like, you know what, if I'm going to have to deal with agents sitting in a recruiting meeting, I'll just have a GM do that for me. Like why, like, why do yeah. I have to convince him that like Lincoln, uh, you know, not Lincoln. Uh, what, what town is uh, uh, Oklahoma? Is it in Lincoln? Lincoln? No, that's Lincoln. Norman. Nebraska. Norman. Yeah, like, right, uh, you know, in like five years, I could see him being like, why do I have to sell him on? Well, I got my last quarterback a commercial spot at, at Norman Auto Shop, so I got to get this guy. You know, like, so th- those were the guys I'm talking I'm not talking about, like, yeah. Chris Mack, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, Josh Pastner, like I'm not saying like the Celtics are calling Josh Pastner tomorrow and saying get out of there. You don't need name, image, likeness. I was talking about more guys. They like should that. shout out to Pastner, dude. Reigning ACC <laughs> champ, baby. Let's go. Let's go. The Shield. Right. The Shield. That's I hope right, he keeps the Shield post uh, post Um, Yeah, no, I agree with all that. Real quick. Well, actually, it doesn't have to be really quick. Um, John Shire. So first of all, I found it very interesting that you said that it made more sense. I think it's, when you explained it, it made sense. Uh, I actually think in hindsight, like Hubert Davis, pro- the reason I, th- I think Hubert Davis made more sense was because he actually played in the NBA. He can sell, you know, I, I know what it takes to get there, da, 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 where John Shire, it's like, let's be honest, like I'm not trying to be a jerk. He's just some like random white dude in his 30s that's now the head coach at Duke. And like, you know, he's I, a I, nerd. That's what I'm saying. Like, and I wrote an article about this today uh, over at Kentucky Sports Radio as we're recording here on Thursday. Is like, I think the biggest benefactor of all of this is Kentucky because it's one thing for Calipari to recruit against a um, a Hall of Fame coach at a, at a great school with a great fan base with great fan support. It's another it's another thing to recruit against a 34 year old with glasses that never played in the NBA. So. 
real quick, we'll, we'll talk about kind of the, the programs, because I think both Louisville, what you cover, Kentucky, North Carolina, there's a lot of programs that are going to benefit, but just John Shire in general, like, like I'm not rooting against the guy. This isn't like the typical, like, oh, screw Duke, LOL, they suck. It's like, I just, I don't think it's going to work. Like, we have a track record now of Matt Doherty, who's been on this podcast, by the way. Um, he didn't technically replace Dean Smith, but he basically replaced Dean Smith. Um, Kevin Ollie at my alma mater. I know he won a title, but it doesn't really count. Like, it was all Calhoun's players, and the program completely uh, cratered after that. Um, you know, the guy who replaced John Thompson, who no one remembers, his name is Craig Escherich, and you don't remember because he sucked and got fired and never coached again. So, like, I'm not – it's not like a John Shire, like, screw that guy. I, like, I just – I don't think it's going to work because I look at it, the Duke standard doesn't change because Coach K is gone. The expectation is we recruit the best players, we play the biggest games, we, uh, you know, we do everything it is. We beat Carolina twice. We compete for national championships. And I think that's a tough, tough ask of a guy that's 32 years old or 34 or whatever he'll be 37 when he takes the job for a guy that's never been a head coach before. I totally agree. I think he's so vanilla that there really isn't even like, I don't think anybody has much of an opinion on it. It'd be different yeah. if maybe he was like a dookie and he was polarizing Maybe this is a bad example, but like a, a, a Greg Paulus. I know he's in sure. coaching too, but like he at least is somebody that is the Duke brand. Shire is such a vanilla, not like him, the nerdy guy with glasses, I just don't think is going to be able to sell the Duke brand despite it being what it is and him being kind of the understudy of Coach K. But Nick, I just think now he recruited you need Jason somebody. Tatum. Didn't you hear? He recruited – that was the big stuff. Well, you know he was the point person on Jason Tatum. I'm like, yeah, and then Coach K came in with four gold medals wrapped around his neck and, you know, five national championship rings, and he closed the freaking deal. So, anyway, I didn't mean to cut well, you off. Well, even Capel – you know, it's fun. Even Capel is believed to have been a bigger, I guess, oh, yeah. uh, boost for them in recruiting. So, I, I, I'm with you. I don't think it's going to work. I mean, to me, he's like a – He's like a dorky version. He's like a dorkier version of Brad Stevens. And I don't mean like as a, like Brad Stevens didn't win at Butler because he went and got players. He won in an era where he just really overachieved and is a great X's and O's guy. So it's not impossible that it works. Like you, I'm not rooting against it. I just have a hard time seeing Duke be able to maintain their standard. And honestly, in recent years, you and I had many conversations about this over the years with the way they were bringing in talent. Duke established the cool factor, and it wasn't because of Coach K, but they were getting the cool players. The trio that came in with Zion, RJ, uh, and, and Cam Reddish. Like, Duke became the cool school, which was weird because they used to be really good, but they were the nerdy school. They had the Dukies, the Paulises, the J.J. Reddicks, and, and the Christian Leitners, even going back that far. But now, like, I just don't think – Shire may be the least, the least compatible guy to keep that established as far as being the cool place to go. Yeah, it was clear that whoever was going to uh, replace him was just going to be the lead guy on his on Coach K's staff. And like, you know, it kind of sucks for, I think, Coach K, frankly, more than anybody, probably the Duke fan base that Shire was the guy. So real quick, what do you think? Um, who do you think benefits the most from this? And I think there's an easy answer. I think everyone's going to say North Carolina. North Carolina's got their own first-year head coach who will be a second-year head coach when John Shire takes over. Um, I think it's Kentucky. I don't even think it's debatable. Now, you could argue that Kentucky still has stiff recruiting competition from overtime, G League, all these places that are now paying high school players. 
But on the flip side, I look at it and I say, again, Calipari, the guy that that in one year put John Wall, Anthony Davis, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, uh, De'Aaron Fox, Jamal Murray. Oh, that guy or the 36-year-old that you've never heard speak before? Like, I think the clear biggest winner is Kentucky here, uh, especially as they've revamped their coaching staff over the last, you know, six weeks or so. Uh, and then I have some other thoughts. And I think, honestly, your Louisville Cardinals as well. It's just like, I think it's that. I think if Matt can get things going here, that's a program that could potentially leapfrog, not leapfrog Duke, but like Duke won't be as big of a, you know, whatever. But go ahead. I'll, the floor is yours. Who do you think? Yeah. most? Yeah. I think that's a great point about Kentucky because they've still recruited at a very high level. But the whole days where Calipari could literally say, we're going to get whoever we want, we eat first, that changed because despite still putting together classes, they were, they were, that were number one or number two, they were put together differently. And they were going, Calipari went head to head for a lot of players against Mike Krzyzewski in the last five to six years. And he didn't get many of them. I think the mm -hmm. only two I can think of that he got was Winyan Gabriel and Kevin Knox, all the other ones, Ooh. even, even most recently, even most recently, pa Paulo Benchero. I mean, that's a guy yeah. that they felt great about until until Duke got involved. So you're right. Those losses that they started to take on the recruiting trail have a hard time seeing Calipari losing those if it's John Shire that he's that he's going up against. I mean, he might lose a couple here and there. And you're right, the the G League, the overtime, I mean, all that stuff is still a threat. Um, but I, I think I, you're spot on. And, and I think Louisville and just maybe the other ACC teams that are in that tier have a chance to both benefit from I mean, they're not going to surpass Carolina and Duke as programs all time. But, you know, Virginia has established themselves. Florida State has established themselves as in that top tier with Duke and Carolina. In fact, those are the four teams that just seemingly are the best teams every year. Louisville, I think, is probably since they've been in the league, a comfortable five. Occasionally, they'll finish a little better, a little bit worse. But no, if they if they can ride out whatever sanctions come their way, there will be an opportunity to to emerge and take advantage of maybe some power shifting going on within, within a league that is literally, and I knew this all along, but you really learn it when you cover a team that's in this league. This league is Duke and North Carolina. I mean, that is, that is, that is clearly the focus most of the time when it comes to basketball. And that will still be the case because of where the league's located and the league's tradition and these programs traditions. But there's no doubt. We actually talked about that on my show uh, on Thursday morning that Louisville, you know, not, to, not predicting they're going to really take advantage, but they could. That's just something that, you know, for years you never would have thought, but, Eventually, both these guys were going to hang it up, and here we are. How insufferable is the Coach K uh, uh, season-long tour going to be? Do you think? Yeah, it's going to be. It's going to be rough. Think, do you think they'll do the Derek Jeter where they like give him like a piece of memorabilia at every stop? So, like, oh yeah, he, absolutely. He's so, getting a Louisville Slugger. Or yeah, that's what I was going to no say. Doubt. Yeah, yeah. So he's getting the the, the personalized Louisville Slugger. Uh, let's see. I don't know what Clemson would give them. Miami, I have no idea. Uh, I don't know. But, yes. Maybe it's gonna, cigars or something down in Miami? Oh, my God. It's going to be so – it's going to be so bad. It really is. What will bother me is that I think there will be a lot of phony – Yes. I guess phony class, if that makes sense, that I think people do respect Krzyzewski. Uh, but, like, for example, like, you know how many coaches deep down, like – felt good about Nate Oates calling Coach K out last year. Like, he, he had the stones to do it, and people respect him because he's a legend. But let's be real. He's a guy that, like, feels like he's the head coach of the sport and sometimes says things and feels like he's, 
entitled. And again, maybe he is because he's super successful, but there's going to be so many coaches that he's going up against that are just going to ooze about how much they respect him. And I think there'll be a little bit of genuineness to it, but I think deep down, you know, he's not as lovable as, as, uh, as some of these coaches are going to make it seem. Jim Laranega in Miami. I loved competing against Mike. It's like, you were never competing against Mike. Stop, stop. That, that did not happen. <laughs> it's funny. You mentioned the Nate Oates thing. My intern texted me on, uh, I guess it was Wednesday night. He goes, bro, it just hit me. Nate Oates broke coach K. And I was like, I don't think that's really how it happened, but you know, screw it. If that's the narrative that you want to, uh, that you want to live with and let's rock with it. So a couple other topics uh, I want to get with you on. Um, first of all, so you're in Louisville, you talk Louisville sports, you know, 365. How are we feeling about Chris Mack? Because, you know, I was buying all the Chris Mack stock after year one, had him on the podcast. We talked about uh, all sorts of good stuff. You know, this year was a, a, a you know, you missed the tournament, you know, first team out or yeah, yeah first team out. Um you know, Carly Jones leaves basically your best player. So, like, where where are we at? How, where's the fan base? Because I, I like Mac, and I, I still think he's good. And I want to ask you about Dino Gaudio in a minute. But, like, independent of Dino Gaudio, like, like where are we at with Chris Mack right now, the Louisville fan base, like, temperature gate? Yeah, so I think right now the fan base is uh, very antsy, and they would, I think, collectively tell you that this is a big year for him and, like, missing the tournament just is not going to be uh, an option for him. I, I was, I was surprised at the end of the season, just how, I guess, unsatisfied the fan base feels. And I've been accused of being, you know, a Mac apologist. And I think what's happened with him is, well, to answer your question, I think right now the fans want to see some results because they feel as if he's underwhelmed substantially. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think what's happened is look last year, he'd tell you that, that he's, they, wasn't good enough. And yes, they were, had a lot of circumstances against them with the, the timing of their COVID pauses, the amount of games they missed. I mean, if they get one more ACC game in that, you know, they didn't get to play Boston College the second time. They didn't get to play NC State. So, you know, it sounds like excuses. And yes, I guess it is. But it's also an explanation. I think losing Malik Williams before the season started, um, you know, David Johnson and Carly Jones had to play 40 minutes a game. So uh, and they had no depth. So Again, all those things sounds like an excuse. But and, and what I learned is that fans don't want excuses. It's Louisville. Be better. And I think that's what they would tell you. And I think Mac would tell you that. I think it was extremely difficult to him for him to make a change to his staff. He's never fired anybody in his time as a coach. And he fired two people, two close friends. And obviously one situation, which we'll talk about here soon, turned extremely, extremely ugly. And, um, you know, there's a lot that needs to be said about that situation that can't be said publicly because it's a, you know, it's, it's a federal case and Dino's about to plead guilty tomorrow for it. But I think what, what I find, I guess, a little surprising, but I shouldn't be surprised because, again, it's Louisville fans have high expectations. I think Mac really got ahead of himself and it hurt him, meaning like he got there. They weren't great, but he beat Michigan State when they were a top that same Michigan State team that, by the way, had Langford healthy. Mac beat them in November wow. and that team, that team beat Zion and Duke in the final in the elite eight to go to the final four. So that was a huge win. And we're like, Oh crap, here we go. We're going to be a top 15 team. And you know, this, this team with a bunch of leftovers from Patino and a Kristen Cunningham transfer from Sanford, how the hell is he doing it? What's Max great. Then he puts together a top 10 recruiting class. And up to this point, that class has been a big time failure. I mean, that's just, that's, there's no way to, to sugarcoat that. So I think the early success and, and some would say, well, what do you mean early success? What's he done? He hadn't won a tournament game. 
fair enough. But he also didn't get to play in the tournament when he had a top 10 team in the Ken Palm and like nobody else did the tournament didn't happen. Uh, he also spent a few weeks as the number one team in the country. So like, I think that stuff means at least something, but people, if you talk to, I think the bulk of the fan base, they would tell you that, yeah, uh, just not good enough. You better do something this year. or You're really going to be in trouble and the seat's going to get high, but people fail to realize he's still working against some things that he has no control over, which could be huge sanctions that will, that will come their way. So uh, that's a very long winded answer, but I think the fans have surprised me as far as, just how much they seem like I they're underwhelmed. And there's not a lot of excitement for next year's team, right? I mean, you know, you hit the portal. Not, not, not much. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, they could, they could be solid. This could be, you know, this, I know Chris Mack literally is genuine when he says he likes the pieces he has. They could not shoot last year and they have no depth. They've improved substantially in that area. Noah Locke of Florida, Jared West of Marshall and Matt Cross of Miami all shoot it better than 40% from three. Uh, they're going to have legitimate options. They just won't have a featured player unless somebody makes substantial improvement. Um, LL is the Juco point guard. They love him, but he's a Juco guy. So you'll have to wait and see just how, what he did translate. So to answer, you know, like I got asked this morning on the show, Hey, are you surprised nobody has Louisville in the preseason top 25? And the answer is no. I mean, I could see them potentially being a borderline top 25 team when it's all said and done. But if you look at what you lost and what you bring in, there's a lot of question marks. I, I could certainly understand why you would leave them on the outside of the top 25. Yeah, I put on my top 25 the week, you know, kind of right before Memorial Day weekend. And, you know, you get all sorts of responses. And, like, you know, one Louisville fan was like, oh, he didn't, we didn't even make the top 30 because I did top 25 plus five. And, like, didn't even make the top 30. And I was like, I was waiting for, like, the barrage of angry Louisville fans, and it just didn't really come. Like, I was just like – yeah, no, your team's like on paper, I'm a little bit underwhelmed. I'm not going to lie. So, yeah, so we'll see. Uh, Dino Gaudio, what um, – just give us a scoop, man. So, like, for people who don't remember, you're not a diehard Kentucky Louisville fan, whatever. Um, this was the coach who got fired, recorded himself telling Chris Mack, if you fire me, um, I'm going to go public with – rules violations the rules violations weren't bad at all um and some or the reverse happened he somebody else recorded him and uh it turned out that that is what we call extortion here in the united states and now uh in theory he could be looking at prison time but what's the latest and you know how crazy was your show the next couple of days how frustrating is it for you as a fan of you know not not really a fan of the program but just you know it just feels like, uh, you know, it's just one negative headline after another. So, Yeah, I mean, it, when I saw the news, I got a phone call from somebody who would know, and they said, hey, you're not going to believe this, uh, but Dino is about to be federally indicted on extortion for trying to get 17 more months of his contract pay, or he's going to go to the media and expose violations that took place. And I said, you're right. I don't believe that. What What in the world? But it also is, you know, you can't make this stuff up. So, um Dino is, is by all accounts, a good man. He's wild. He is wildly popular with everybody who knows him, whether that be people in the media with his time at ESPN or people who know him throughout coaching. I got a chance to know Dino a little bit whenever I went to that Mac fantasy camp a few years ago and met his, met his son or son-in-law who was on my team. And I think Dino just got caught up in the moment. And I, this is no excuse for breaking the law. But he had no clue what he was doing was extortion. I believe that. Like, I think he yeah, just was so – he was so emotional. And it, his his temper got the best of him. He couldn't believe that he was being let go. 
So he was being recorded. And what I don't know, and again, hopefully we get some clarity on it. It's not crazy to think that when you are telling somebody that they are being essentially terminated, that your HR department records that because they want, if you know, lawsuits can happen. Those kind of things happen. So a detail that I think is not being shared enough is that it was recorded the, the day that he was let go. Then a day later, Dino had left Louisville already and then sent text messages to university officials, not just Chris Mack, other people. And it was at that point they realized he may be serious and they were going to have to 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 take action. So this notion that Chris Mack set his guy up and wanted to throw him in prison is just simply not true. Um, And and there's details you just can't speak about. But clearly it was it wasn't an isolated incident that led to them reaching out to the authorities. And you know what Dino claimed was a violation. One wasn't. The video thing was not a violation. Now using grad assistance in practice, maybe that's something minor. And you know, you are on probation. So therefore if you commit any kind of violation, you could be made an example of. So from that aspect, it was uh it was it, it, it it's just mind numbing. You just think to yourself, when will it ever end? How do we I mean the jokes wrote themselves that I even laughed at them. Hmm. We're getting back to normal. Louisville's involved in another scandal. Now clearly their involvement in this thing's a little different than you know than um the other things that have happened, but it just seems crazy. And here's what I think really and again, this is me trying to piece piece the puzzle together. And you know, I believe this. I can't report it as fact, it's just my opinion. Luke Murray was in line to to get a head coaching job. So he wasn't necessarily, I mean, he, his contract wasn't getting renewed, but it's because he had, I mean, Doug Gottlieb, who you can call yourself a colleague of Doug Gottlieb. He has told people behind the scenes that, 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 that um, Luke Murray was going to be the guy at college of Charleston. And wow. Dino so upset about how he got fired. He called all the, he leaked it. Dino was the first, but Mac, Mac and Uvell did not want this to be public when it became public because these guys contracts were, were, we're going to be up at the end of, at the very end of, I think, April. So with that, they were, you know, not being renewed, but they were still going to be paid. They weren't going to put anything out. They were going to move in a different direction, but they wanted to keep it quiet. Dino made it not quiet and told all of his ESPN colleagues. And that's how the news broke. Dino wanted it out. Can you believe he he did this to me? He fired me. So what, what happened is college of Charleston finds out that they were about to hire a guy who simply was getting fired and they, they had cold feet. So Dino's temper got the best of him and put him in a situation that has embarrassed him and his family. He'd tell you that. I think he's genuinely remorseful, but it also, in my opinion, I think it screwed Luke Murray. Luke Murray's been interviewing for head coaching jobs since he got here. So he was in line. He was believed to be one of the top young assistant coaches in the game. And I think the, this whole thing played out, kept him from getting a head coaching job. Now he's up there with your boy, uh, in, in stores. So congrats, because mm-hmm. I think you guys got a good one. I don't think they were going to move on from Luke. I think they wanted to, to, to mix it up and start fresh. And they just knew he was about to get another head coaching job. And it, it played out much differently. Yeah, I was going to say he must still be one of the, the rising coaching stars because uh, one of the rising coaching legends, uh, Dan Hurley, uh, went ahead and hired him as the uh, new That's assistant. Right. Reunited. All right. Last one from me. And then I'll open up the floor for anything we missed. Um, so we all agree Mike Woodson might go down as the greatest hire in the history of college basketball. I call him the modern day John Wood in the way that he's re-energized the Indiana program. After he wins multiple national championships in the next decade and calls it a career, is Brad Stevens the next Indiana head coach or what? I, uh, if, if Brad, there's never been any there's never been stronger evidence than the way this thing with the Celtics played out that if there's one job Brad Stevens has no interest in, it is clearly Indiana. By the way, <laughs> shout out to Mike Woodson. 
the only controversy he's got on his hands now, have you heard about this? They got too many players. How are they going to play them all? How are they going to keep people happy? He's added so much talent. They brought so many people back. I mean, they've got a problem on their hands. Mike Woodson has brought in too many good players. I, you know, I will say, so first of all, what he's done is incredible. And I've actually like talked about it at length because Indiana fans are crazy and they eat up every piece of content, but you know, what he's done is actually kind of incredible for a guy that had no concept of, in my opinion, or my understanding, how really college basketball work these days, hits the portal, adds three guys, including one that can really play, actually played at Pitt with Jeff Capel, yep. um, adds a five-star, and then from there, um, you know, basically convinces the whole team that was in position to make the tournament to return. So I love Mike Woodson, but I'm also with you on Brad Stevens, um, you know, if he didn't like to recruit in the, and it brings the conversation full circle, if he didn't like to recruit in the uh, pre one-time transfer pre name image likeness era, I can't see him being super juiced up to, to show up at Indiana and now have to, again, uh, deal with all the, the crap that comes with it. But on the flip side, what I would also say, you know, I mean, if it doesn't work out as a front office guy, I mean, you know, if the Celtics tank under his leadership, he is only 44 years old. And if it doesn't work out, he'll probably be in his late forties, early fifties. The next time look, that he's looking for a job and he might not have an option to come back other than to come back to college. But, um, but yeah, I did find that very interesting. I, I, so I, I can't tell if Brad Stevens was demoted or promoted has to be promoted because if he really wanted to coach, he would get a job anywhere. He could he, guys in the NBA would lose their job if Brad Stevens wanted to coach. Not a ton of them, but like that's how he's viewed in the NBA. So I don't the, the pieces to the puzzle. If you, I, I could believe that these pieces could be put together, and that is Brad Stevens hanging out as a GM, just seeing how he likes it, how it goes. John Shire doesn't have success, and they bring in Brad Stevens. And I know he's not a dookie, but back in the early 2000, like 2000, 2010s, like 2012, 2013, I guess right before he left Butler for the NBA, like he was kind of an unofficial adopted Dookie. Like the recruiting coverage, like if you go to the Peach Jam, there was a real bromance between Brad Stevens and Mike Krzyzewski. It's almost really? like he was his unofficial. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't remember that. You know, would lightly mention it that if you Google <laughs> pictures of Brad Stevens and Shashevsky, I think you'll find not only the title game they played in, but them sitting at like re recruiting events. Like the, Mike Shashevsky loved Brad Stevens and thought he was like the, but but of course he's going to keep it in the family. So maybe Stevens could be the adopted family member that takes over because John Shire can't get it done, and every other member of the Coach K coaching tree stinks. Like I could see that happening because Duke is, I mean. Duke is one of, I mean, it's, it's a weird job when you talk about the best jobs in the sport. And I say that because it's only been Coach K. Kentucky's had, what, five, six coaches win a title. Kansas has had multiple. Carolina's had multiple. Hell, Louisville's had multiple. So Hell, UConn's had multiple not to say, technicality, but yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, like, what makes it – UConn's actually an example of a program that really is is Calhoun, right? It I mean, is. That's, mm -hmm. that, that's a credit to him. So – I could I could see that playing out, but maybe he just maybe he would come back to Indiana. But keep in mind, he just turned down the contract that would have made him the highest paid coach in 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 the sport, and also more than clearly more money than he's making with than he was making with the Celtics. So I, I don't think we've heard the last of people speculating Brad Stevens coming back to college. Oh no, he is, and I think I said this with Beeline a few months ago. But Brad Stevens is now officially the Bob Stoops of college basketball, where it's like. 
Arizona State's going to have an opening. They'll be like, gotta, I mean, got to call Brad Stevens. Got to make him say no. Like, every single job is going to be like, I mean, you got to make the phone call. It's like, no. Like, if he comes back to college, it'll be for one of probably like three jobs. Indiana, uh, Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, maybe Indiana under the perfect circumstance. But I'm with you. And to, to your statement, I guess, I, I don't think it was a demotion. I, I don't. I don't think he wants to coach. And I think it kind of strikes me as coming full circle of, you know, I don't think it's, even though the money's great, I don't think it's very fun to be like a college coach right now. I don't think it's very fun to be an NBA coach right now. I mean, the, you know, and this oh, hell is, no. yeah, I was going to say, this isn't like, a, Oh my God, the stars have all the power you know, the power shifted, but it's like, again, Brad Stevens probably got into it thinking that, you know, he's going to be a high school coach, like a small college coach. And now you're dealing with a bunch of millionaires and this guy doesn't want to practice. And this guy doesn't want this. And this guy's mad about that. And it's like, I can't imagine coaching anywhere is honestly that fun right now, but Hey, the paychecks, I guess, make it, make it all worthwhile. But yeah, I, 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 when I saw that news, I wasn't, I mean, I was surprised. I wasn't really surprised but yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I, I don't, I didn't, didn't strike me as being a demotion, I guess is what I would say. Yeah. With Brad Stevens has come a long way and he's in a different world from when he was recruiting my former AAU team, teammate Shelvin Mack to go to Butler. That's wow. he's, he's a long way from that going from, you know, two-star recruits in Lexington to dealing with, like you said, millionaires. And I could see how that would take its toll on you. I, I would, I would coach in the NBA, Aaron, if they wanted me, but yeah. it would not be, I, I think the college game would be so much more appealing given the fact that it's your program. And if it makes me an egomaniac, it makes me an egomaniac. Like NBA coaches are so expendable and they know it. Like you have no power. You are replaceable with retreads because the players make more money than you. They're more, they're more valuable assets. Whereas in college, yes, it's going to be more difficult now and recruiting maybe even harder because you may lose kids to the portal quickly. But I've always said as a competitor, uh, I, I, I would, I would much more, enjoy a college coaching college and recruiting and all that than I would coaching in the NBA. I just saw, I was watching one of the Lakers games the other night and Vogel, um, you know, son of Kentucky. Um, he was like literally coaching like three guys on the bench and LeBron, this was like after, I think it was the game AD got hurt and LeBron was uh, no lie. Uh, if six feet is social distancing, he was two social distances away from uh, Frank Vogel just, could not care less what he had to say. And I'm like, imagine just being- Have you ever seen Ty Lue in a, in a huddle? Like, I don't think any players ever listened to Ty Lue. <laughs> uh, Nick Coffey, 790KRD. Anything else that we missed? We covered a lot of ground here. Nice, meaty conversation. Anything we missed? I think we're good, man. I think as far as what's out there, what's topical, I think we ran through it pretty well. All right. You can listen to Nick, 790KRD in Louisville. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at the Card Connect. Say it every time. We'll do it again soon, Nick, okay? All right, brother. Thanks, you. I appreciate you having me.